reading out of 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you by God's power being, being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Through you, uh, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, unobtained obtained through the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or in what the time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and his subsequent glories, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that you've now been announced to through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from, the, from heaven, things unto which the angels long to look. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for these words that uh, that you've inspired and put down so that we can glean from them and grow and learn from them. And I just pray, Lord, that you would uh, open our ears to hear as Aaron uh, preaches on what it is that you put on his heart. And just uh, thank you for this day, Lord. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Alphas can be dismissed. I walked out of our bedroom this morning, walked into the living room, and Gabe was wearing that shirt. And I said, you cannot wear the same color shirt and pattern that I'm wearing. But he didn't get the message. Uh, in 1789, Benjamin Franklin wrote a letter to a friend. And he said the following. Our new constitution is now established and has an appearance that promises permanency. But in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except for death and taxes. Right. Life is frail. Taxes are certain. We can all admit it. We do not have an affection for taxes. As you get all that mail in and your emails from your CPA, it's not our favorite time of the year. We have no excitement or drive or vigor towards our taxes. We've earned our money and we want to keep it for ourselves and not give any of it to the government. But what about the affections for things in God's Word? Why don't I want to read my Bible this morning? Serve in that way. Sacrifice for that person. Be at the gathering of God's people. I feel that from time to time. And I assume you do too. Just don't want to. Well, Jonathan Edwards, he calls our inner desires, our desires that control us, affections. 
And he, he defines affections as strong inclinations of the soul that are manifested in thinking, feeling, and acting. The Bible calls this our heart, the thing that drives us. Affections are long-lasting, not fleeting. They are deep, not superficial. They are consistent. They're not overpowered. They result in actions, not failure. And they involve our whole self, our mind, our soul, our body, our will, not just how we feel on the outside. Like grandma's pie, or maybe your favorite dessert, or a sports team, or as we've all been there or seen young women and men attracted to one another. Sometimes these affections are intense. In the scriptures, they change our affections to the things of God. We'll see this morning with the man Ezra, name of our book we're in, and we have been for a few weeks. We'll be in Ezra chapter 7, and Ezra is a man of the Word. Ezra led with the Word, he lived by the Word, he depended on the Word, and he worshipped according to the Word. Those are our four points this morning, because the Word changes our affections. So would you pray with me if you want to turn in Ezra chapter 7. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, make us. In Jesus' name, amen. So for the sake of time, we have a long passage, which some of you might be excited about that. Less of my words, more of the Bible. But we're going to skip a few. We're going to pick up in Ezra chapter 7, verse 6. After Ezra's genealogy, we learn about the man of the word. Says this Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king some of the people of Israel, and some of the priests, and Levites, and singers, and gatekeepers, and temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month which is in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month he began to go up from Babylonia, and on the first day of the first month, fifth month, he came to Jerusalem. For the good hand of God was on him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach its statutes and rules to Israel. And so Ezra is a Bible man. Ezra had an affection for God's word, and he was a scribe. He was skilled in the law, and the hand of God, Yahweh, was upon him. As a scribe, Ezra was tasked with writing official documents for the king. He was a high-ranking official in the Persian government, but most importantly, he was a student of God and of God's word. In verse 10, it sets the stage for our whole time this morning that Ezra was a man of God's word. God was good to Ezra because, for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. So, driven by his heart, Ezra's affections, he determined to do three things. To study the Word, to do the Word, and to teach the Word. Ezra wanted to be holy. He wanted to speak God's Word accurately. He wanted the Bible to transform who he is. And the man of the Word, our first point this morning, leads with the Word. 
Ezra is the model to follow, to study the Bible, to study God's Word, to learn from it. The Bible, friends, shows us who God is. It shows us what God has done for us, and it shows us and commands us how to live in light of that. Ezra is an ideal reformer because he first submits to the Bible himself, and then he practices what he preaches. He then calls Israel to follow his example and do the same. So during our process three years ago, some of you were around when we were considering moving to Vermont and pastoring here at Cornerstone Church. Martin, the elders, they wanted to know my understanding of the Bible. Hard questions like, where did you go to school? Because not all seminaries are orthodox. They don't always teach truth. Why do you, what do you believe about God's Word? Do you believe that it is outdated or that it's not applicable in the world like we live in today, that many people believe, like liberal um, churches believe today? They would ask me questions. What's your personal devotions look like? What do you, how do you spend time with God? What do you do? How does it transform you? Pastoral ministry requires a lot of skills, which I'm still learning. But most importantly, pastoral ministry requires skill with the Bible. My kids can tell you that I'm not perfect. I don't follow God's word perfectly all the time. But the role of a pastor is to teach God's people and call us to collectively do what it says. So Ezra, the man of God, he wanted to understand the Bible himself, but God's word also calls us to follow it. And so Ezra first led with this word, and second, he lived by the word. Scriptures repeat a common theme. We hear God's word to obey God's word. Sin has affected our ability to hear and understand and apply and put the things into practice that we hear in God's Word. The first temptation from the serpent to Adam and Eve in the garden was what? Did God really say? Did you hear properly? And Adam and Eve's response should have been, yes, He did say, and so we will follow and obey it. But they didn't. And so as a result, our minds, our ability to understand the things of God has been distorted. We struggle to hear. We struggle to follow the Scripture. But the Bible constantly reminds us to follow and obey God's Word. A couple examples. Deuteronomy 7, verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God. This is what He does. He keeps covenant and steadfast love. This is what we do with those who love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations. You might recall from our time in the Gospel of John, John 14, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. Or James 1, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And so Israel was obeying God's call to return to Jerusalem. The reason for their exile, if you remember from Deuteronomy, is because they did not obey God's word in the past. Ezra was not perfect. And you know how I know this? He's a man. He's like one of us. But Ezra's affection was a gift by the good hand of God. And so he might have success in his obedience. Ezra's life was characterized by an intimate knowledge and a faithful obedience to the Bible. And Ezra led with the Word, and he lived by the Word. We can follow his example. Look at the letter 
from the king. Opportunity taken shows us that our affections can be changed by living according to the word of God. We'll pick it up in verse 11. This is a letter that Ezra had. And this is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra, the priest, the scribe, a man learned in matters of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes for Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra, the priest, the scribe of the law of God of heaven, peace. And now I make a decree that anyone of the people of Israel or their priests or Levites in my kingdom who freely offers to go to Jerusalem may go with you. For you are sent by the king and his seven counselors to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God, which is in your hand. And also carry the silver and the gold that the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem, with all the silver and gold and the, you shall find in the whole province of Babylonia. And with the free will offering of the people of the priests vowed willingly for the house of their God that is in Jerusalem with this money, then you shall with all diligence buy bulls, rams, and lambs with their grain offerings and their drink offerings. And you shall offer them on the altar of the house of your God that is in Jerusalem. Whatever seems good to you and your brothers do with, with the rest of the silver and the gold. And you may do according to the will of your God, the vessels that you have been given for the sacrifice of the house of your God, you shall deliver before the God of Jerusalem. And whatever else is required for the house of your God, which it falls to you to provide, you may provide it out of the king's treasury. And I, Artaxerxes, make a decree that to all the treasures, it treasures in the province beyond the river, whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of heaven, requires of you, let it be done with all diligence, up to a hundred talents of silver, a hundred cores of wheat, a hundred baths of wine, a hundred baths of oil, and salt, without prescribing how much. Whatever is decreed by the God of heaven, let it be done in full for the house of God, for the house of the God of heaven, lest his wrath be against the realm of the kings and his sons. We also notify you that it shall not be lawful to impose tribute, custom, or toll on any one of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the doorkeepers, the temple servants, or other servants of this house of God. We'll stop there. So Ezra led with the word. He lived by the word, and he helped God's people to do likewise, to follow his example. Look at this. Israel's given a test. The king said in verse 13, you can freely go. In 15, you can freely give. In 16, freely offer and vow, and do whatever is good in your mind, in verse 18. But according to the Word of God and the will of God. God's Word is the basis for our free decisions. We are given decisions to make every day. God's Word is what changes how we make our decisions. This letter was given to Ezra. Look again, it says, A man learned in the matters of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes for Israel. So Ezra had an understanding and he was given this letter the king made a proclamation, and so Ezra led with the word, by the word, and Israel was to follow. God's word leads his people. It changes our affections, where we can go, we can give, we can just do something according to God's word. Where our obligations are now turned to opportunities for us to become obedient and faithful. 
And if a decision that we are making, whatever that decision may be, if it's within the bounds of Scripture, you are free to make that decision, to go for it. We're entrusted with God's Word to live it, to do it, to proclaim it, to conform to it. And that's the focus of the rest of the book, conforming to God's Word. Whereas Ezra is trusted with God's word, but also he's entrusted with the king's edict, we see in verse 21. And the king says, do what Ezra says to do. And how do you think Ezra determines what he decides to do? By God's word. Where God is sovereign. And Ezra has this letter from the king of kings, it says in the text. But the hand of God of heaven is the one directing the play in verse 12. God's power in the Bible, they always work together. And then verse 25 elaborates on why. And as we see the man of God, he leads with the word. We'll read through the rest of the chapter. And you, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God that is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges who may judge all the people in the province beyond the river. All such as know the laws of your God and those who do not know them, you shall teach. Whoever will be or whoever will not obey the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be strictly executed on him, whether for death or for banishment or for confiscation of his goods and for imprisonment. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who has put a, such a thing in this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem, and who extended to me his steadfast love before the kings and his counselors, and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage, for the hand of the Lord my God was on me, and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. And so according to God's wisdom, Ezra leads God's people. He lives by the word. He makes decisions in accordance and in light of God's word. And he continues to work in chapter 8. Where Ezra and Nehemiah, these books that are uh, separated in our English Bibles, are meant to go together. Where Ezra, they are looking more and more like a second exodus, ending with God's people worshiping freely. If you remember the time of Moses taking God's people out of Egypt, this is what it is supposed to point to. And if you didn't know and you haven't caught up, that's where our Bible reading plans are right now. Ezra and Nehemiah, they admonished God's people in successive generations to worship God. Don't go back to disobeying the word like you used to, which caused you to be in exile. Follow God. Worship God. Worship Him. They didn't rebuke those who didn't go the first time. This has been 80 years has passed now since chapter 1. But each generation decides, are you going to reap the consequences of disobeying God's word that He laid out in Deuteronomy? Or are you going to follow the God of the Bible who gives us His word to follow and to understand and to obey? And so then we see in chapter 8, we'll pick it back up in verse 18, that a remnant returns. A small group of people returns to Jerusalem. And Ezra gathers leaders to help with the work, more leaders to lead with the word, to live by the word, and helping Israel to model what Ezra has taught him. Because third, Ezra next leads by helping Israel to depend on the word. Look what happens in verse 21. It says, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek Him, seek from Him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and our goods. 
For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way, since we had told the king, The hand of our God is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. Then I set apart twelve of the leading priests, Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and ten of their kinsmen with them. Kind of glad they didn't list out all ten. And I weighed out them and the silver and the gold in their vessels, the offering for the house of our God that the king and his counselors and his lords and all Israel there present had offered. I weighed out into the hands 650 talents of silver and silver vessels worth 200 talents and 100 talents of gold and 20 bowls of gold worth 1,000 derricks and two vessels of fine, bright bronze as precious as gold. And I said to them, You are holy to the Lord, and the vessels are holy. And the silver and the gold are a freewill offering to the Lord, the God of your fathers. Guard them and keep them until you weigh them before the chief priests and the Levites and the heads of the fathers' household, houses in Israel and Jerusalem within the chambers of the house of the Lord. So the priests and the Levites took over the weight of the silver and the gold in the vessels to bring them to Jerusalem, to the house of our God. And then we departed from the river of Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us, and He delivered us from the hand of our enemy and from ambushes by the way. We came to Jerusalem, and there we remained three days. On the fourth day, within the house of our God, the silver and the gold and the vessels were weighed into the hands of Miramoth, the priest, son of Uriah. And with him was Eleazar, the son of Phinehas, and with them the Levites, Josabad, the son of Jeshua, and Noadiah, the son of Benue. The whole was counted and weighed, and the weight of everything was recorded. And so Ezra leads with the word. He lived by the word, and third, he depended on the word. He has them fast because he didn't ask the king for protection. Sounds pretty foolish, right? A fast is not something you do when you are traveling a long journey by foot. A fast is not something you do when enemies are around you in every corner. On the morning of D-Day, that's not the time when you do an oil change or you change the transmission fluid or you service the vehicles that are taking all the troops. You don't skip a meal that day. You feed the troops a very hearty meal to get them ready for the battle that was to come because they might not have a hearty meal for a while. But Ezra trusted God and he wanted Israel to trust God too. And that's dependence. They sacrifice food to request protection from God and depend on God by His Word. They've never been to Jerusalem. These people are really old. Yeah, it's been 150 years now since all the Israelites had been removed from there. But they knew of the land and what was called a land flowing with milk and honey. On this long journey, they probably wanted to arrive where there is all this plentiful food, not giving up eating the food that they have. Yet, they aren't hangry. They trusted Ezra, and God honored their prayer. The good hand of God was on Ezra, and it extended now to the people of God. God gave them favor by His sovereign hand. Being humble, they depended on God for protection. Like I said, our Bible reading plans are in the first part of Exodus, where the name is the book is named. We're the Exodus out of Egypt. On Tuesday, you'll see Israel at the Red Sea. Many of you know this story. 
nowhere to go. Pharaoh behind them, ready to attack them. God will part the sea. He will deliver his people. He will protect them. Protection from adversaries is what God continues to do for his people who are led by the word, who are living, living by the word, and who are depending on the word. And we see our fourth point at the end of the passage. Because they worship God according to the word. Look at verse 35. Because God is so good, it says, At the time those who had come from captivity, the returned exiles, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel, twelve bulls for all Israel, ninety-six rams, seventy-seven lambs, and as a sin offering, twelve male goats. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. They also delivered the king's commissions to the king's satraps and to the governors of the province beyond the river, and they aided the people in the house of God. As Dave read from our scripture reading this morning in 1 Peter 1, it continues in 1 Peter 1, and Peter picks up on these words from Leviticus. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Everything that belongs to God is holy. Yet everywhere around Israel was the temptation to be unholy. Ezra led with the word, he lived by the word, he depended on the word, and he worshipped according to the word. God's word calls us to be holy, for our God is holy, by not profaning the name of the Lord, by doing anything that is unholy. And like all, or not all, but many of the chapters that have been in Ezra so far, the story ends at the end of the chapter with the nation offering sacrifices to their God, atoning for their sin. And God's word, when rightly understood, shows us a need for a sacrifice. Where Israel has now come full circle. Exiled because of their obedience, Ezra has now led them back and he calls them to obey. And the Bible says to be holy, but we realize when we read the Bible that we can't, that we aren't. And God shows us our sin. And as we learned recently, there is no excuse in our family when you get a speeding ticket for not seeing the sign. It's still a violation. And Ezra wants Israel to be holy and not violate the word. Ezra led with the word. He lived by the word. He depended on the word and he worshiped according to the words. His affections are changed by his commitment and he wants Israel to follow his example. And so it's been about 2,500 years since the events in Ezra 7 and 8 took place. Here we are today. And we too should be men and women who are living being led by the word, living by the word, depending on the word, and worshiping according to the word. And so I have four encouragements for us as we put these things into practice ourselves. And the scriptures, they lead us, they make us humble, they make us submit, and they make us repent. First, the Bible leaves, leads, sorry. Life is full of decisions. I hinted to that earlier to take a job, to move somewhere, to marry that person, fill in the blank. We all are faced with decisions every day of our lives. God's word guides our decisions and how we are to act. So take the job, but don't be greedy. Move to that house, use it for hospitality. Marry that person to make them holy. As Ezra led, we do things like he did according to God's word. To be led by God's word, we must know God's word. If you have a decision to make, if you need to ask for
for help. You can go to God's word. You can ask God's people. You can ask one of your elders or the leaders. We would love to help you process these decisions that you are making in light of God's word. And so our first application is to let the Bible lead you. The Bible leads, but also second, gets a little bit more uncomfortable and makes us more humble. When we realize our sin and Jesus' sacrifice for our sin, our affections will change to, or should change to, humility. It's the gospel, the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's what God's Word shows us, where the Word leads us. It makes us humble. And third, it gives us a delight to submit. Like Ezra, God uses leaders to direct his people to the scriptures. In Acts 6, if you're familiar with the story, the apostles were tasked with caring for God's people. And they were appointing at this moment deacons to serve God's people. And this is the reason. It says, because it was not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. And there's nothing wrong with serving tables. Your elders, your deacons delight in doing that and serving in that way. But the priority of pastors and elders, the apostles, is teaching God's word. So everyone else is transformed and our collective affections are changed. Paul commands that elders should be able to teach. It's the role of elders to lead in the church, leaving by directing through God's and with God's word. And that's how our affections are changed. Your leaders personally start with humility before we call you to humility. James says that not many of you should become teachers for there is a stricter judgment. And that's humbling. And that's scary. And so, would you pray for us that we would remain steadfast? We're in this battle together. The Word of God changes all of our affections. And so, in some sense, that's the humility piece where we see ourselves submitted and under God's Word. We can collectively ask God, like Ezra called the nation of Israel to fast, to protect our leaders, to continue to be faithful themselves. Because it's the Word of God that changes our affections. When we open up God's Word, it shows us how much God has done for us. And our response just isn't, isn't just prayer, but it's humble submission to God's Word together. Leading by the Word of God and with the Word requires trust of God. God's Word changes our affections and causes us to act in accordance with God's Word in humility and humbly we follow it and we submit to it. We give, we go, we contribute our time and our resources. I don't need to beg you, but if your first reaction when we call you to read your Bible or be with God's people or serve in this area is, nope, not going to do it, maybe consider that check engine light. We share opportunities. These are not obligations. Will you follow God? Not my words. My word should be that of God's word. So the check engine is light on, or light is on. It's maybe, ah, I'm not going to do that. Maybe the spirit is awakening you to do something about it. Maybe we all need car inspections around here, right? Not going to pass the inspection if the check engine light's on. So you can ignore it, 
But if you want to follow the rules around here, you're going to have to do something about it. And I think the same thing happens with God's Word. When our heart responds with, nah, but it's in God's Word and He calls us to do it, maybe you should ask the question, why? Maybe you should invite a friend or someone else to come and help you in that. And so our plans as a church are just an opportunity to, for us to continue to work out our own salvation together and see what God may do through us. Where we call each other to God's word and we trust God's word and we continue to stir within us to move forward. Where we are free to worship, we are free to love each other, we are free to follow our leaders and collectively seek to know God, follow Him, to call each other to do the same. Where we're led by the Word, we are made humble, we submit to God's Word, and finally, we repent according to God's Word. When we freely receive, we are also freely able to repent. Constantly having God's Word before us reminds us of our need for a Savior. Ezra the Reformer, he wanted God's people to live lives of repentance. Don't go back to your former ways that caused you to go into exile. Live according to God's Word. And so we know God's Word. We follow God's Word. We repent when our lives do not conform to God's Word. When Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the door of the Wittenberg Church, this was the first of them. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent, He intended that the entire life of the believer should be repentance. The Catholic Church was put on notice by Martin Luther. You need to repent. And it's not about the church. It's about us as individuals who make up the church that need to be repenters. God's Word, it confronts us. And repentance is a change in our actions led by our affections. Where God changes our affections by His Word. When we read God's Word, it shows us our sin. Which is why I think many of us don't like reading it. But by constantly seeing our sin, we are given the opportunity to constantly run to Jesus and constantly turn from our sin and rest in His grace and His mercy. And when we fail, we rest in God's grace even more, the sacrifice and the atoning work of Jesus. By believing in Jesus as the substitutionary sacrifice, we receive eternal life. By rejecting that, though, and not turning to Jesus, it's everlasting torment. When kids get their license, we have one that's got a permit. Parents, you go over the wisdom, right? You want to give your kids, don't go there, be home by this time, be careful on that road, careful who you have in your car, stay, keep your eyes off of your phone, all of these things, because they are one decision away from a very terrible disaster. And not to share those things is not to be loving. And so leadership is just really sharing wisdom that we've all learned and we've gleaned from the scriptures to say, don't go down that path. Maybe you don't want to read your Bibles. It happens to new Christians and old Christians, pastors, new believers. But don't trust your heart. It's deceitful. We don't need to be legalistic about the amount of Bible reading or the plan we use or how many times you need to read it in a year. Read your Bibles. If you don't want to, set a check engine light. What does it show about your affections? We want our affections to change, and God's Word gives us reason to do that. 
when Kristen and I we were engaged we spent a summer in Brazil and if you're not familiar with Brazilian restaurants they're all you can eat all of them for a very small amount of money and so we would go to these places and they would always have a buffet and Kristen would always remind me hey don't fill up on salad don't fill up on rice and beans even though they were delicious you're at a Brazilian steakhouse church feast on God's word with the good steak repent of going to the salad bar and just sticking to the kale with a devotional it won't satisfy you you'll remain hungry the word will always satisfy you you will never even get full of it and you can keep eating and so we put effort into the things of God, our desires for the Word of God. And it gives us ample reason and opportunity and justification for our repentance. And so as we read the Bible, it reads us. I'm a sinner. I need grace. I made a poor choice. I need a Savior. I will live according to God's Word, though. That's repentance. Ezra led the way, like Paul would say to his protégés, follow me as I follow Christ. And that's why we gather. Where we need to speak the Bible to each other. We need to remind each other of the Bible. We need reminders of the gospel. Jesus died for you. And it frees us to turn from living against God's word. And it frees us to follow God's word. And we have a big family to do that with. And so let's do that, church. I'll help you. Your elders want to help you. And I think almost all of you, if not all of you in this room, want to help each other. Would you pray with me? Father, even as I see young souls in this room, babies, some of the greatest treasure that we have here on this earth, I'm reminded of the pearl of great price. The hidden gems in your word. The words of eternal life, as Peter said. And how valuable your word is to us. Where else shall we go, as Peter said? God, I pray that you would help us to continue to see our need for a Savior, that we would continue to submit to you, humbly submitting ourselves to your word and what it says of us and how to live our lives. God, I pray that you would, by your Spirit, help us to turn from our sin, that we would put to death that which is earthly in us and put on Christ. God, we thank you for closing us in that. God, we thank you that you, we are now in you by believing in your Son. And God, we ask for your help. And we ask for your help that we would each, as individuals, seek to submit to you and follow you. We ask that you would help us as a church to seek to submit and follow you. And you would always lead us by your word. It's easy to say the temptations are always there. It's not a guarantee that we will. But God, we thank you that you will never leave us nor forsake us. And you're with us always, even to the end of the age. And so God, would you help us to be there with you in the end. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.